0: Hey, it's Neil from 7 Million Bites Podcasts, host of a Vietnam podcast and Did That Really Happen? I am beyond excited to share this special first episode of Beer Stories, hosted by my good friends Misha Smith and Alex Violet from Pasteur Street Brewing Company and produced by me at 7 Million Bikes Podcast. This is a combination of two major passions for me, podcasting and craft beer. I cannot thank Alex and Misha enough for putting their trust, faith and patience in me to get this off the ground. And I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we did making it. And of course, as always, a massive, massive, massive thank you to Lewis Wright for all of his support for what I do. I literally couldn't do it without him. This doesn't even include the amazing intro music that he's made for a Vietnam podcast and for Beer Stories and several of my other clients as well. He is becoming the podcast intro music expert now. So check out the first episode of Beer Stories here on a Vietnam podcast. It's going to be a special pod swap and we're going to do more of these over the coming months. There will be new episodes every week. So make sure you go on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get podcasts. Hit the follow or the subscribe button and get the weekly episodes. And this is for beer enthusiasts, not beer snobs. So if you love beer, you'll love this podcast. The link is in the show notes. Go and follow that if you need it and enjoy the podcast. Cheers.
1: Welcome to Beer Stories. This is a a brand new podcast. We're going to talk about craft beer mostly, but beer in general as well. This is our first episode, so it may never see the light of day or the internet's warm glow, but hey, you never know. If you're listening to this, it means we're really proud of what we've done. My name is Misha Smith. I'm going to be the host. I am a craft beer enthusiast going back quite a ways. And for the last seven years, I've been making my living selling craft beers for Pastor Street Brewing Company. My guest today is my boss, Alex Violet, CEO, co-founder, brewmaster, Pastor Street Brewing Company. Hi, Alex.
2: Hi, Misha. Thanks for coming on. No problem.
1: What like sparked your desire to start making beer? Was there something else that led to that?
2: Yeah, so I mean, it, it exposed me to the idea that that's something that you could do. And then the minimum drinking age of the United States really inspired me to start making beer. Because we quickly realized that you you could buy barley and hops and yeast at any age and then you could just make beer yourself i never really had one specific beer mentor but it's definitely the the entire journey has been heavily influenced by the people that i've been working with at each each step along the way you know following their passions and you know taking out uh taking a big risk with their money or taking a second mortgage on their house to invest in this business. Seeing that at a young age I was just like, man, I can't even imagine having a house, let alone gambling it on this business working? Like, I've been brewing beer for what, like two years?
1: We started in 2015. Seven years later, more than 60 local craft breweries in Vietnam. Do you ever think about what your role was in building that scene and kind of your legacy in the Vietnam craft beer industry? You genuinely enjoyed the durian beer that you made it just haunted me
2: (laughs) ever since we um we had a keg of ipa and we have a customer say i think this this ipa tastes funny and i smell it and i'm just like oh shit this this smells like durian and it turns out that any keg that we had the durian beer in had
1: to be removed from service it just it's stuck there So this podcast was your idea to talk about beers. That's correct. We haven't really figured out the exact format yet, so we're doing this as an interview. We're going to talk about your craft beer journey, mostly. And then at the end, we're going to do a little fun factor fiction segment.
2: Well, let's get started.
1: Let's go. (coughs) Cheers. In addition to us, we've got our producer, Neil Mackay, And our theme music was done by Lewis Wright. So, Alex, you're a little younger than me. I distinctly remember a time when I was of drinking age that I've never heard about craft beer before, living back in Canada. Do you have a memory of the first time you learned about craft beer? Was it always part of your lexicon that there was this other kind of beer called craft beer?
2: No, the, the first time that I heard the term craft beer and actually connected that to something was in Missoula, Montana. Okay. And I was a sophomore at university and my roommate lived in Montana, but we were going to university in Tennessee. So his father said, how about we buy you a plane ticket to fly up to Montana so you can drive back with my son. And we arrived in Montana and I, you know, brought my fake ID with me. And the, the first thing was like, hey, you've got to go to this brewery tour. They give you free beer. And you get to see a brewery. And I was like, all right, let's, let's go do it. So we went to Big Sky Brewing in Missoula, Montana. We took a brewery tour, and I was a biochemistry student at the time. And I was just like mind-blown about all of the, the processes and the equipment that went into making beer. So um, we ended up you know, doing all the sampling and buying a six-pack of Moostrel to take back to his parents' place. And that was the first time that I had craft beer.
1: Awesome. Do you remember specifically what the very first craft beer you tried was?
2: Moosteral Brown Ale.
1: Okay. Oh, nice. Are you still a big Brown Ale guy? Yes.
2: It's one of my favorite styles to brew. Unfortunately, it's also one of the harder harder styles to sell. So I've done those at various breweries and had... You know, very great success with winning lots of awards at, you know, the World Beer Cup and Great American Beer Festival. When I was brewing at Absolute Brewing Company, that was actually our most awarded beer was our brown ale. But we, we had to discontinue it from a year round rotation because, you know, if you're wanting a dark beer, we found that people went right to a stout or a porter. And if you were wanting something a little bit lighter, like an amber ale or something would usually fit that bill.
1: For sure. Yeah. I remember when I was younger, brown ales were definitely more of a thing. And it seems like it's a style that time has forgotten.
2: Yeah, I I really enjoy the the balance of it, but I think in the you know the the world of craft beers, you know, hundreds of styles of beer that you could choose to buy, it's maybe maybe too much in the middle.
1: Yeah, not enough of one thing, not enough of another. Yeah. It's got roasted malts,
2: but just a little bit. It's got hops, but not over the top hoppy. It's got you know the ones that we were doing were a little bit higher in alcohol content, but not super high. Right around you know seven percent. So. It was very, very much in the middle of yeah. a lot of different styles.
1: Yeah, so quick story. We we had a beer called Kentucky Common for a little while. It was a seasonal beer, and it's really about the inflection, right? So I really liked it. A lot of people really liked it, but it, didn't, it just wasn't really moving very well. So initially, I was describing it as like, oh, it's dark, but not too dark. It's sour, but not too sour as like a selling point. But then when it's not selling, it's like, oh, it's dark, but not too dark. And it's sour, but. Not too sour it was just like a little bit of everything, but not enough of anything for anyone so you mentioned the biochemistry that's what you went to school for yes, cool and then was the was that craft brewery tour what like sparked your desire to start making beer or was there something else that led to that?
2: yeah, so I mean it, it exposed me to the idea that that's something that you could do and then the the minimum drinking age of the United States really inspired me to start making beer because we quickly realized that you you could buy barley and hops and yeast at any age and then you could just make beer yourself and it was kind of kind of a challenge you know if we're we're these biochemists and we're learning all these uh, complicated processes going inside the, the cells in yeast like we should be able to figure out how to make beer right and that's kind of how it started it was for the um the utility of it and then we quickly realized that you know drinking that first batch yeah it fermented and it tasted awful and started to realize that there was like really an art to it you couldn't just go into the science side and then have something that was enjoyable to drink you really had to you know have have an appreciation of the flavors for beer and an understanding of where those flavors come from and use a little bit of your artistic side to to blend that together in combination with the technical side to to make sure you have a clean fermentation and that you actually ferment to alcohol and not to vinegar or something.
1: So, would you say that you saw a lot of yourself in Walter White's story when you watched Breaking Bad? Absolutely not. The main reason is that I never
2: really thought this would be something you could make money doing.
1: Right. That was his goal from the start was to.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't until much later that, the, you know, had the idea that maybe you should try and turn this into a career. It was always very much. This is going to be a fun hobby that I have.
1: So when you did start making money off of turning it into a career or profession, did you go mad with power the way that Walter White did?
2: No, not not at all. It was probably the the least powerful position in the entire company that I was working at, driving a truck and lifting cakes.
1: Got to put the work in brick by brick. Did you have like a, a mentor in the brewing industry or was it just from the, those beginnings you were kind of self-taught, you figured it out along the way? Or was there someone in your journey who really, I don't know, either made you like helped you to take it to the next level or like really opened up certain things that you wouldn't have been able to figure it on your own otherwise?
2: I never really had one specific beer mentor, but it's definitely the the entire journey has been heavily influenced by the people that I've been working with at each, each step along the way. Because of that artistic side, everybody has a different take. So brewing with people that appreciate different flavors in the beer. And then brewing with people that have different, um, different educational backgrounds. So it's some people got into it because of the art and just this passion for a flavor of beer. Some people were more of an engineering mechanical mindset and really enjoyed the equipment and the process. Some people were like production manager. You could tell like that's what they were drawn to is like the scheduling and the optimization and, and that end of it. And then of course, like a business people who were, you know, following their passions and, you know, taking out uh, taking a big risk with their money or taking a second mortgage on their house to invest in this business. Seeing that at a young age, I was just like, man, I can't even imagine having a house, let alone gambling it on this business working. Like I've been brewing beer for what, like two years. Like I can't let this guy down.
1: (laughs) Right. That's funny. So did your did your parents have any influence in your craft beer experience or were they like my parents were wine drinkers and, and whiskey drinkers? Were your parents into craft beers as well? No. Blake is older or younger than you? He's younger than I am. So obviously as the younger brother, he wouldn't have had any influence, but he also was in the craft beer industry.
2: Yeah. yeah. So uh, he worked in the industry for, man, probably four or five years a total. He helped with Pasteur Street and lived in Vietnam here for a while. Obviously, it's how you know him. And then before that, he was at Sweetwater Brewing. And then after Vietnam, he was at Bell's Brewing. So Pastor Street, by far the smallest brewery that he's ever been a part of.
1: (laughs) Right. Cool. So moving on, it's kind of like asking you to pick get your favorite child, which is obviously easy for you. You only have one. But do you have like a single favorite beer that you've ever made, whether it was here in Vietnam or back home in the States? Is there one that like really stands out as like either that's, my favorite that I've ever tasted or like that's the one I'm the most proud of.
0: We'll be right back. Join pilot and adventurer Fernando Pino as he takes you on journeys to discover exciting destinations across the UK and Europe. You'll fly with him to hidden gems and experience local culture, from bustling streets to serene hideaways and the best places to eat, sleep and play. Travel Plans is more than a podcast. It's your ticket to exploring the world and its history with a friend. In this episode, we are flying to discover a beachside paradise perfect for the whole family. Discover golden sands, activities galore, and even free childcare so you get your own break too. Oh, why am I still here?
2: I mean, I think I've always had one of those beers, but it's never stayed consistent.
1: Mm.
2: It's always changed as, uh, you know, at one point in um, in the career, you know, it would be really proud of making this one beer and just like remembering the creative process that went into it and how either like original you thought it was or how it really suited the the needs of beer drinkers and really filled a hole where, where there was one, you know, and the the options that were available to folks or or even like a beer that, that was very successful for your company that, that you know, that went out and was like a, a workhorse. And then, yeah, so it's kind of changed over time, but, but yeah, always, I'd say there's one beer that I'm thinking about where like, ah, that's where it's at right now. I really like the Chanmoy mm. just because of the the process of creating that and really listening to a lot of people saying they wanted different flavors. And they were like, you should make a cider. You should make a, a hard seltzer. And, and just asking why, why, what do you like about it? And trying to, to get them to describe the specific flavors that they were interested in. And then using those flavors and saying that that flavor isn't specific to a cider or to a hard soda. This can be in beer. And then finding a way to pull out what what I think they were really asking for in, in a drink and then put that into a beer that for, for me like uh, combined all of that and also stuck to our vision and values for our company to to make craft beers and to make them with non traditional local ingredients that highlight the the agriculture and the culinary tradition of Vietnam. So so yeah, I think that, you know, combining all of that, it was a big exercise on, on brewing, not only trying to figure out what somebody wanted, but then finding a way to brew it within the within the context of, of who we are and what we do.
1: Obviously I've had that beer as well recently. I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's not at all what I expected when you were describing it to me before it was done. So I was really surprised by it. Just for our international audience, could you describe what beer chang Mui is? Yeah,
2: it's so the, the chan Mui, from what I understand, just translates to lime and salt. And, and it's a fermented beverage, actually. So it's a lime with salt added and then covered in water, some sugar added. So the yeast has some stuff to work with and, and do a nice little fermentation on it. And then that ferments and makes this super concentrated, whemony, funky characteristic from the fermentation, very salty beverage which is usually then diluted and then served and it's very refreshing if it's you know hot weather which it always is here in saigon and it's also seen as like kind of like um healthy in a way it's like a, a, as a lot of fermented foods are it seemed to be like something that's very good for you
1: it's good and it's good for you i didn't say that <laughs> i did all right so moving on like i said the the chengui it, it surprised me have you ever made a beer that surprised you in a way like A beer that you're like oh this will be fun and and whatever and then it comes down it's like oh actually this is doing way better than i expected and people are loving this way more than i thought and this is actually a much bigger thing that we've got on our hands than i realized
2: yeah at at risk of sticking with pastor street too much um (laughs) uh, that would that would be jasmine ipa because (laughs) um you know that's the most popular style of craft beer in the world and that should be something that we lead with like why wouldn't that be just as popular in Vietnam, you know, and uh, brewing that with jasmine flour is just the the perfect pairing with hops. It's like they're they're both flowers, and their flavors are very complementary. So I thought it was a great beer, but I wasn't expecting much out of it because everybody was saying IPAs are going to be too bitter. Nobody wants bitter flavors. It needs to be sweeter. The flavor is going to be too strong, and and yeah, we weren't really expecting much out of it. But then it quickly turned into the you know, the flagship beer of the company.
1: Still the most popular craft beer in Vietnam? I'm going to ask you something. You might not want to answer. You don't have to if you don't want to. But if you're, you know, obviously you're American. You're familiar with Mount Rushmore. You have four of the presidents up there. Mm -hmm. If you had to do a Mount Rushmore of beers, do you have, like, four that really stand out as, like, either just, you know, the best you've ever had or, like, the most important craft beers, maybe? I think your favorites would be better, but... Do whatever you want. Mount Rushmore.
2: Oh, four on Mount Rushmore, right? Yes. Let's see. I'll start with the uh the Mustrel Brown Ale. Yep. Getting into it. After that, really got into uh Le Pin Du Mom, Canadian beer. The end of the fucking world. Absolutely. From there was getting very into wild fermentations. And um was it Bam beer from Jolly Pumpkin? Just a three and a half percent super white, easy drinking, wild ale. Great. So th- that one really inspired a lot of beers that I brewed after I had tasted it. And then we're going to finish that off with one of my own with Jasmine IPA. Nice. Uh,
1: I know from conversations that we had back in the day, early days of the tap room, that you're a very modest and humble guy. You don't like to, you're like, you're, you're good at deflecting credit to other people on the team. But when you, when you step back and look at where beer was in Vietnam, not just craft beer, but the beer industry in Vietnam when we started in 2015, and look at it now here, like seven years later, more than 60 local craft breweries in Vietnam, like, do you ever think about what your role was in, in building that scene and kind of your legacy in the Vietnam craft beer industry? Or is that like just something that you don't spend any time on?
2: The short answer is no i don't don't think about that i would say that coming in we we had no idea what what we were going to do for beers right like uh, what what was going to be our attitude and approach to craft beer in vietnam how are we going to market that what what did we expect the reception to be and from the start we uh we said we're going to use these non-traditional ingredients that that really highlight the the flavors the agriculture of vietnam so that this isn't something that you could just do anywhere this really has a sense of place and i think that that is really spread throughout the industry using the flavors of vietnam and incorporating that into the beers and i think that i um, very proud that we we started with that and we've stuck with it and uh, the other thing would be quality we knew that um hey there, you didn't really have any competition when we were starting you know so you could brew however you wanted to you could use some less expensive hops or you could, you know, maybe cut a couple of corners to make it cheaper. And we said that that was never going to be something that we did. We we had this kind of like a, a idea that we could pick up this tap room with the beers in it and drop it onto Pearl Street in Boulder, Colorado. And the beers and the business would be successful there at one of the highest quality standard craft beer cities, you know, that you could put it into. And we wanted to do that to set that quality standard for Vietnam. And I think that, it, you know, over the years, you know, in the the Asian brewing scene, I think Vietnam does have a lot of respect for having very high quality beers and and making things that are really tasty and incorporating some, some fun stuff into the beers with, with these non-traditional ingredients.
1: Awesome. So back then, like, did you ever imagine there would be more than 60 local craft breweries here in Vietnam? Or like, does that number seem low to you now, like seven or eight years later? Like... Are you surprised at where the industry is or is this? I would say that
2: we we did expect it, but we didn't think it was likely. And that's why we were saying we, we that was one of the reasons for setting the quality high is that you know that things move fast in, in Vietnam. So if something's successful, there's going to be a lot of them very soon. And if we can make the way that you compete, being that quality and consistency is the standard, then then that's what can really grow a market. And we... We identified that at the start that if the standard was you had to have great beer, that people are gonna like it. We're gonna find people that like these flavors of beer. But if there was, um, you know, uh, other motivations besides quality coming first, that it might just be somebody's first experience with craft beer is really underwhelming. They they don't you know see themselves being a craft beer person, and then that I think would not not help grow the industry as fast as it did. So yeah, we. We were kind of planning, hoping that that would happen, but we also thought it was a long shot.
1: Awesome. So, Alex, how does your uh, your wife Bethany cross over into your craft beer journey? I know you guys both worked at Upslope for a while. Did you meet there? Did you know each other before?
2: We yeah, we met at a craft brewery. We worked at a craft brewery together, and we've started craft breweries together. So we and all of our friends that we've made are a lot of people that we met through craft beer. So. Very, very involved, I guess. With Bethany and I, craft beer is a big part of almost any milestone that I can see in our lives. like With us meeting, or us moving across the world together, or us getting married, or having a daughter. And the first place that our daughter goes, other than our apartment, is a craft brewery tap room in Saigon. It's has definitely been present at every point in our relationship in some way.
1: Awesome. So for... People who maybe are listening who don't know you or your story, obviously you came here, started Pastry Brewing Company, you're here for a while. And then after your daughter was born, you you guys went back to the States and started another brewery there, Elkmont. So staying with Vietnam for a second, was there a lot that you learned about brewing while you were here in Vietnam that like wasn't in your toolbox maybe back in the States before you came here?
2: I would say the thing that I learned about brewing was that beers start as stories. And that starting with intentionality and a story behind where this beer is coming from is something that that I, I would say I learned out here because in the United States, everybody's had an IPA before. Everybody's had this brown ale before and you're brewing them as close to the the standard style guidelines that you can to hopefully win this medal and uh, be a very successful brewery. And out here, it was about introducing beer to people. It wasn't about you know winning a medal to stand above the crowd uh, of the beers that were already there. It was having something that was interesting that had a story that somebody would say, hey, I think I'm going to try this. And after they try it, I really appreciate what's going on there. And then after you know, kind of doing that purposefully at Pasteur Street. I started to see the same thing back in the United States that people were buying beers because they liked the charities that the brewery supported. They knew the owners of the brewery and thought they were great people. They liked buying things local and keeping their money local. and And it wasn't just the flavor of the beer; it was the entire story and attitude behind the. The beer and the brewing it and the people that I had never really put together until coming to Vietnam and brewing these beers and having to, to introduce to people that had never had a craft beer before. And then like a light clicked in my head as was like, that's what we've been doing. It wasn't just the flavor of the brown ale. It was that we were, you know, the brewers would hang out in the tap room with the people drinking it and share stories. And we all lived in the same neighborhood and enjoyed you know, the same activities when cycling together or when hiking together. It was um, it was always there in front of me, but I never really put it together until after brewing and, in Vietnam.
1: I know from, obviously from knowing you and talking to you, that before you came back to Vietnam, you had some other options as well. I know you and Bethany were talking about possibly moving to South America to start a brewery there. Can you talk a little bit about your decision to ultimately move back to Vietnam and take over as CEO at Pester Street?
2: Yeah. So I was, I was on the board the entire time when I was back in the United States and I have no idea why, but the thought just hadn't crossed my mind that, that, Hey, go back. And you know, you you had a baby, like get that kid through high school. It just never crossed my mind that way. And somebody on our board of directors reached out and said, Hey, this crazy idea. I think that was literally the title crazy idea. Would you want to move back to to Vietnam and be the brewmaster, but as well, the CEO. And, uh, And I was like, yeah, it was, man, if it had been two weeks, three weeks later, maybe even like we might've had some wheels in motion where it would have been, Hey, you you can't turn back. You made some promises or commitments or some plans, but the timing was spot on. And that's what we did.
1: I I feel like whenever we talk about different people at Pasteur Street and the journey that we've had there, that comes up a lot, That the timing was perfect on so many different things. And it had to be for us to be where we are now. And especially with me, especially with you other people as well it's just like if it'd been a little bit later or a little bit earlier or it like taken a different opportunity that maybe wasn't as good of a fit it just wouldn't have worked out the same way and here we are
2: from from my experience when when things go well and it and it goes right you can absolutely you should say we did some awesome things we, we put this together in the right way we saw something and Followed through with it, but once that has happened, you also have to look back and say, "Hey, if there was any sort of this timing or circumstance that was different, and we did the same thing, we could have been in big trouble." And I think everybody really saw that in a direct way with with COVID and yeah. you know operating you know tap room restaurants as well as a beer company, and that's something that you never could have predicted. And man, if you were getting ready to launch your company and you had X set up and this was going to go. And then all of a sudden the, the government locks you in an apartment, you, you know, like uh, did a great job, it got COVID out, but man, you, you couldn't, you couldn't do anything. So yeah, there's definitely some, some luck involved in being right time, right place.
1: So this brings us to the portion of the podcast I like to call fact or fiction. Alex, I'm going to make some statements about you or Pastor Street, and you're going to tell me if they're fact or fiction. And if it spurs a great story, go ahead and tell it. And if it doesn't, then we'll just move on to the next one. Okay. Okay. Fact or fiction. The Vietnamese brewers at Coochie, where you brewed our first big batch of beers, told you on the first day that you were doing everything wrong. Fact. <laughs> right. So can you explain why, why they were so horrified by what you were doing? They...
2: They had worked with some some very smart people from Germany who had explained a lot of things about what you need to do to make this amazing beer. And basically everything that I said was the opposite all the way down to the the, the types of yeast or when you add the ingredients. It's uh, American craft beer brewing techniques are very different than traditional German brewing techniques. And that was very obvious from the start. But thankfully, there was there was trust in each other. And we said, okay, you know, like this is crazy. I have no idea why you'd want to do it this way, but your your check cleared, the money came through, so we'll let you try this, and then kind of you know uh, gave it a shot, and then we've we've been working together ever since.
1: Right. So I think it was Bethany who first told me that story, and uh, I, in my head, I'm always just picturing this crowd of Vietnamese guys huddled up in a corner, just like this guy's a fucking idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's mad.
2: I mean, I had to. I had to look like just a space alien, right? You know, like, what is this guy doing? This guy, you know, coming from growing up in Tennessee, coming from Colorado is now in Saigon at this brewery, just dropping things into tanks with chains. And, you know, it just, it it had to be the craziest looking thing. And, and and I wouldn't expect anybody to say anything different. It wasn't from any point of like being negative. It was trying to be helpful. It's like, dude, we're going to try and help you like not fail here.
1: Right. Awesome. Next one. You genuinely enjoyed the durian beard that you made. False. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> I
2: genuinely enjoyed that we made it. Yes. And showed that it was possible. Yes. And then it just haunted me yeah. ever <laughs> since. We we had a standard cake cleaning procedure that it became apparent that the durian is very non standard. You know, we had a keg of IPA, fortunately it served at our tap room and not somewhere else. And we have a customer say, I think this, this IPA tastes funny." And I'm like, oh, okay, that, that's interesting. I've tasted all the beer at the brewery, like, but maybe, you know, there's something wrong with our draft line. Like, let me get some and I smell it. And I'm just like, oh, shit, the, this smells like durian. And it turns out that any keg that we had the durian beer in had to be removed from service. We had to go track those down. And just throw them out because any of the cleaning chemicals that we had could not get that smell out of the inner workings of, like, the the tapping mechanism and, the you know, the surfaces of it. It just, it's stuck there.
1: Right. So, uh, if anybody's listening who's not in Southeast Asia or doesn't know what durian is, it's this big fruit that's local to Southeast Asia. It smells like a mixture of, like, rotten eggs and dirty gym socks.
2: We... We were sitting at the bar one day, and I I noticed somebody looking at Bethany funny, just like kind of giving her the eye. Yeah, I'm like, what's going on? Why do they? And then I realized they were pouring the durian beer, and they thought somebody farted. And they're just like looking around, and it just kind of hit me. That's what happened.
1: A German building had to be evacuated (laughs) because some Asian kid brought in a durian, and they thought it was a bomb. So yeah, like they're they're outlawed on certain subways, certain buildings. Like you just you're not allowed to bring durian in because even before you cut into them, the smell is so distinct and so awful. And yeah, you made a beer out of it. I'm glad we made it year one and not year six. So there were many fewer kegs that were <laughs> infected.
2: I only made six kegs.
1: <laughs> other other people after you, Alex, have talked about doing another version of durian, and I've thrown my body in front of it every single time. Next one. The Pastor Street Brewing Company logo is actually a TARDIS. False. Okay. Check it out. Look it up. Okay, so next. It took 13 hours from completion of the contract to move our first big brew house from Hanoi to Vietnam. False. Oh, It took 13 days. Oh, that makes more sense. I mean, trick question. (laughs) Cool, we got two more. Pastor Street was the first craft brewery in Vietnam.
2: Depends on your definition.
1: Love it. Yeah, there's,
2: and even I think defining things is is not the best way to go. If you're saying like, oh, well, we were the first. That that's that's great as long as you're you're still doing that thing the best. Hmm. I think the it's something that you you prove you earn you consistently follow up with every day. Just because you did something the first doesn't I don't know necessarily make it any better eight years. when you did it it's about what it is right now so so yeah i mean you know definitely you could go back through our history and find a whole bunch of things that you did first and you could go through any other brewery that's around and find things that they did first you know we were probably the first craft brewery in vietnam to brew an ipa with a brewmaster that grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, whose name starts with A.
1: You don't know Aaron from Knoxville. He he had a brewery.
2: I just stepped on the on the landmine that I planted and stepped on it. But but yeah, I think that's that's the way that that I kind of see it is. If you if you create a first then you have to create a context to define things and once you start doing that then you end up with with a purity while brewing beer in germany where you can't even use non-traditional ingredients that highlight the agriculture and flavors of a place where you are so yeah let's just stop drawing drawing these boxes and and expand the context of craft beer
1: sure because When has the Germans being obsessed about purity laws ever caused any problems? Leave it in, Neil. Leave it in. Pass. (laughs) Okay. So last one. Fact or fiction. Pastor Street Brewing Company is the best craft brewery in Vietnam. Fact. Cut. We're done. I mean, obviously that goes into your last answer about who cares if you say you're the first or the best. You know, the people decide who their favorite is. It's so subjective. Obviously, crap, that's the lovely thing about craft. One of the many lovely things about craft beer is how subjective it is. Everyone has their own favorites. Well, it's my favorite, and my opinion
2: matters the most.
1: <laughs> there you go. So some, fact. Some people think off oh, flavors are on flavors. Awesome. That's all I got. Alex, is there anything else you wanted to, to say, to plug, to tell the people listening to beer stories to kick this thing off?
2: I've had, had a fun time sharing, sharing some stories with you and yeah. uh, look forward to sharing some more.
1: So this has been episode one of Beer Stories. I've been your host, Misha Smith. Thank you to my guest, Alex Violet. Thank you once again to our producer, Neil Mackay. Our theme song was written by Lewis Wright. Thanks, Lewis. And thank you for
0: listening. See you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider or you-know-who looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data these days it is vital that you keep your data safe NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away it makes your internet activity private protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data and lets you enjoy your favourite content securely even while away from home and it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney+, Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now, and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com. Forward slash SMB. Just again for those hard of hearing, NordVPN.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 million bikes, You get a great vpn and you'll be supporting seven million bikes podcast stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love any questions just let me know you know how to get in touch with me and thanks for listening to this show cheers